0: Success for me is not measured by bank accounts and scoreboards. Success is measured how many times a day can I be so alive in the present moment that my hair stands up. Mm. So I measure it by the number of times I have a sense of awe. And it's, you can't miss them. When you're in it, you can't miss them. And if I have a bunch of those moments, scoreboard stuff will take care of itself. (laughs) And guess what? I'm totally winning because I'm completely alive today. You know, so that's success for me. Then failure, it's not making a mistake and it's not a scoreboard. The unwillingness or the inability to get on the edge and to go for it. So mastery is really about getting up into the nuances in the edge and exploring that.
1: I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author and entrepreneur Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst. And let's face it, life has taught us it's hard to suppress feelings of anxiety, apprehension, and fear of the unknown. And undoubtedly, these emotions are what make us human, fallible, and vulnerable. How we manage these so called negative feelings and ultimately transform them into fuel for success is a skill worth mastering which is why my guest today, Dr. Michael Gervais, a world-renowned high-performance sports psychologist and industry visionary, is bringing to us the technique of developing a psychological framework that allows you to thrive and succeed in pressure-packed environments. In 2010, Gervais helped Austrian skydiver and base jumper Felix Baumgartner complete an unimaginable record-breaking free dive for Red Bull while Felix was struggling with claustrophobia and massive anxiety. Dr. Gervais is the host of the popular Finding Mastery podcast that explores the psychology of some of the world's most extraordinary thinkers and doers. Gervais, alongside Pete Carroll, also co-authored an Audible original, Compete to Create, a brilliant guide to mastering groundbreaking mindset trainings, which will help readers unlock their authentic self, explore the edges of their potentials, and live a life of purpose and meaning. And today, Dr. Gervais provides a masterclass on dealing with fear and anxiety and how to stop it in its tracks before it takes you down that dark, scary rabbit hole many of us know all too well. We discuss how to bridge the gap between inspiration and action and how to train the mind so that you can respond to situations with logic and not emotion, and so much more. And stay tuned in today's episode for an incredible course giveaway that Dr. Gervais is doing for our listeners. So all right, let's get this thing going and welcome Dr. Michael Gervais to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Dr. Gervais, thank you so much for coming on. Doug,
0: I'm stoked to be here with you. So thanks for including me.
1: Of course. And from studying you, which I've had the utmost pleasure in doing over the last couple of weeks and getting to know you, whether it was on different podcasts or in your newest book, which we'll definitely get into. I know one of the questions you hate being asked is, what do you do? Like, what do you do? Oh, we, are,
0: so we're starting there. No, we're starting no, we're not.
1: No, we're not starting there. We're actually, I'm going to answer <laughs> the question for you. So <laughs> okay. I want to I let the audience know what you do. So, okay. In just the layman's terms, you are a sports psychologist, and you are the guy that gets brought in to help dial in some of the most elite performers in the world's mindset to achieve the unimaginable and impossible, from my understanding, Mm -hmm. right? And one of the ones that I think most people would recognize that comes to mind is the story of Felix Baumgartner, who back in 2010 was part of a project with Red Bull and was attempting to complete this unimaginable free dive and he began struggling with claustrophobia massive anxiety from the spacesuit that he had to wear to jump and so they call you in and you work with him for a few weeks and you're able to help him actually complete the task where he free fall skydived i think it was for 24 miles and number one that's incredible and most people listening to this are thinking two things one That's really badass, and it's amazing that you've been able to do that with him. But how does that relate to what I'm going through? And I would say that a lot of people right now are claustrophobic and suffering in their own right with things like anxiety, fear, uh, addiction, other personal issues, and they just can't find a way to get out of it and achieve that unimaginable thing of transforming themselves. So what are some tangible steps that you think somebody listening can take to help get them from that state of fear, anxiety, not where to go and moving them in the right direction.
0: Mm. Yeah, so I would say you're right on the money with what Felix did was flat out extraordinary, yeah. high risk, life purpose type stuff that shifted our understanding of what's possible for humans. And I can come back around full circle in a minute to that. But his anxiety that he publicly spoke about is not that different than our anxiety that we're working through. And I say, you and I, because I imagine if you're alive, you've got some anxiety, you felt some anxiety. Is it raised to the clinical level? I don't know that. But 30% report on a given basis in the Western world, like they meet the criteria for clinical anxiety. 30%. I mean, how about that? One out of three. And that's rising. So let's say that 50% of people at any given point in time know exactly what anxiety feels like so here's how we explain anxiety and then here's maybe we'll get to some remedies on how to work with it and it's an unsettling feeling there is a physiological effect and there is a mental uh, impact as well so the mental part of it is called cognitive anxiety is when we're ruminating about all this shit that could go wrong So it's this excessive worry about later and what could happen and this and this, and if this and that, and then maybe this happens and then how would I respond? And so it's an excessiveness about trying to solve something that isn't yet happening. Now, in and of itself, that's a really good mechanism, right? Like I'm gonna use my imagination, which is a massive asset. I'm gonna use my imagination to project forward based on everything I've ever experienced in my life with an assessment of my internal capabilities matched up against what I think the future demand is gonna be. That's cool, dude, that keeps us alive. That is part of the prerequisite to enter into exploring your potential, high performance living, whether it's on a sport field or in the living room, like living in a way where you're animated and alive and fully present and deeply engaged and potentially exploring the nuances Of how you line up your thoughts your words and your actions okay so that's what a living masterpiece is really about lining those up across any condition now like i was saying it's a really useful strategy but when it becomes excessive is when we start to lose our way and that's really what anxiety is the second part of anxiety is that your heart doesn't quite beat at the same rhythm of a relaxed you know state your breathing changes There's muscle tension that's going on. There's like a digestive thing that happens. This is why people have some back aches and some ulcers and some stomach and digestive tract stuff because the system is going, hey, you need to, wait a minute, your mind is creating these images. Do we need to fight? Is this, is now the time to fight? Should I be ready to fight now? Because this sounds gnarly. Should I, oh wait, should I run? What do you want me to do? Okay. Well, I'm not going to do either of those, so I'm just going to kind of turn this system on while you're sitting at your desk, and we'll just be ready in case the saber tooth runs in the door at some point. And then that saber tooth ends up being like your coworker or your spouse, <laughs> and they, they haven't done anything, you know. And so that's like the edgy, kind of irritability soup, if you will, that comes with anxiousness. And if you can relate to that, if it feels like you're shoving 10 pounds of stuff into a five pound bag. And it doesn't seem to ever stop. That's probably anxiousness. So how do we work with it? How have you worked with it? Have you felt it, Doug? Do you know it?
1: Yeah, I was just going to say, I've struggled with anxiety off and on my entire life. And those that are listening, they know a bit more about my backstory. But my inability to manage my anxiety led to having a three 400 milligram Oxycontin addiction, yeah, which nearly go. killed me, right? Yeah. And it wasn't until I got into recovery and I learned to change the way I managed it because the anxiety doesn't go away. The anxiety I believe is still will be there on some level. I think because life happens, life throws us curveballs. We're going to go through spurts where we're depressed, anxious, fearful. I think what changes in my experience is how you manage it and being able to reattach a behavior to a certain emotion. So for me, when I got anxious back in the day, it was oh, I'm going to go do whatever I can instantly to bring me back down. For me, it was oxycontin. Where now, or in the last uh, 12 plus years that I've been in recovery, it's more where can I, how can I find a place to run? Who can I call? That's a mentor of mine. Where can I go and journal? Or you should see the dynamic changes. Now I will say, you talk about the feelings a lot, and A few years ago, I had some really bad panic attacks. Now, I never turned to drugs or anything again or thought about it, but even when I would go to the gym, I would have panic attacks, and what really helped me, there was this book called The Dare Book. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it pretty much taught you, and it's a lot of what you teach too, the more you focus on the feelings that come with anxiety and the body sensations, the more that they will come about because you're triggering your fight or flight system even more. So I would love for you to kind of dive deeper into how somebody can go from just focusing on that story and that rabbit hole, that anxiety and fear can take you down, like I was describing and how it makes things worse, and really staying hyper-present and focused on what's in mm-hmm. front of them in a world where everyone's so distracted.
0: All right, cool. There's so much in there. One, nice work. Thank you. My favorite people on the planet that have, are those that have touched the darkness that that inner sense of hopelessness and have come through it they faced it they understand it they're in touch with their suffering and the the realness that comes with that is just a gift to others so nice job i i I know that work and i appreciate what you've done that's no easy task the other piece is that i just want to hit a note on is that i heard you say that i don't think i'll ever be or we can ever be free of anxiety i don't agree with that part of it i think that 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 in of itself is like an interesting, almost limitation to our potential. Mm. I understand the practicality of it though. When you say that, I'm like, yeah, I get that. And at, at a deeper level, I want to say, but I think that it's possible to be free. And is that sustainable? Well, if my imagination can go there, I just might be able to figure out how to do it. Right now, I'm not there. So let's. I want to be clear, but I don't want to put a lid on it because I can find it 80% more than I was when I was a teenager, 20s and 30s. Right. So, and let's think about, use this analogy, we talk about trains of thought. So thoughts and emotions work together. So when a thought happens, it can often trigger an emotion. And if we're not aware, then we feel the emotion first and we're not quite sure what thoughts led to it. But really it's a thought emotion kind of bang bang experience that takes place. And if you use that analogy, train of thought, I want my train of thought to be able to take me to places that are free and open and deeply engaging. And, and I think you do too. What happens for me is sometimes I accidentally get on the wrong train. <laughs> and that train of thought is taking me somewhere kind of scary and dark and agitated, da 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 da. But I get off that train quickly now. That's the practice. Mm. So to recognize that there's a couple different trains to know the final de- the final destination of one train of thought you had right and it took you to do whatever it took to relieve the anxiousness inside which is immediate relief which is i don't know your exact story but stealing from folks maybe like i don't know what you did that that comes with some of those behaviors but i mean there,
1: a lot of lying manipulating hiding shame yeah. and and then insecurities within myself and i think the one thing that i i think was important that you said is that you are aware of when you are anxious or feeling those feelings and then you're able to get out of it where i think what happens and correct me if i'm wrong is when people get those feelings of anxiousness or depressed or whatever they feel ashamed because they feel like they have to be perfect all the time and then that leads yeah. them down a, a fr- down a darker rabbit hole
0: that okay and then that's where i was going to go is like first recognize that these Um, our normal human experiences the excessiveness of it is where it becomes problematic so that's when you're on a particular train for too long like a sad train or an anxious train or whatever and you're just on it for too long but to feel it is really part of being alive like I mean can you imagine that if a loved one dies that you don't you don't want to be sad you don't want to examine your own mortality and feel some sort of maybe anxiousness about that. And I'm not talking about clinical anxiety. I'm talking about some anxiousness. I'm not talking about a panic attack. I'm like, man, because with both of those, you end up deepening your relationships and holding the fragility of the present moment in a more tender way, Mm. you know? And so anyways, my point about it is this, is that when I get on a train, I can go, you know what, I'm on that train. And then I can make a decision. Do I want to get off this train and onto another train. How do you do it? Well, it's pretty simple one is just naming it actually diffuses the emotion not trying to avoid it that actually perpetuates it because that's creating tension to avoid anxiety i mean how circular is that in nature that's a snake eating its tail for sure or having tension to not feel sadness well okay now i'm in a tense state not a sad state i'm on the tense train whatever but so it's as simple as this when you recognize it name it now you're bolstering your emotional intelligence you're actually diffusing uh, the actual emotional experience. And then you can do something as simple as a breath, which now resets your brain. A long exhale sends a signal to our ancient brain that the gorilla has left, the saber tooth is there, the warring tribe is not coming. I have the luxury of a long breath. If you can stitch two, three, four, twelve 12 of them together, cool. But one, one long exhale sends the, starts that priming of the signal. And then the last thing is use your thoughts come back to now come back to something you'd rather explore that's more productive as opposed to more constrictive and i want to tell you a funny story can i tell you a story doug
1: i'm all about stories let's go
0: yeah me too so i was so i've been a performance psychologist for i think it's 20 some years now and i've had the fortune of working with some of the best in the world across multiple domains and this was a olympian and we we're talking about negative self-talk and this was early in my career and i was i was still quite corny about like negative talk and positive talk and didn't quite grasp the totality of how to capture the spirit of that so we we're talking about negative talk negative self-talk which is that constricting critical judgmental pessimistic stuff that we say to ourselves and she goes she goes oh yeah i know that I don't call it that though. I call it my shit bird. <laughs> go, what? She's super creative as well. I go, what? And she goes, yeah, I have this bird that lands on my shoulder and it talks mad shit to me. And you know what? It's chirping in my ear. And and when I look over, I got bird shit all over my shoulder and it's like, it's my shit bird and it's there a lot. And she goes, doc, I need help with the shit bird. I go, cool. All right, how are we going to solve this one? And so and so we're laughing about it and um, I said, why don't we just do this? Why don't you just recognize when it's there? How would you say, hey, can you give me a break and kind of move it off? But not aggressively, but just gently kind of move it off. And she's like, yeah, I can do that. And she comes back later after a couple of days or whatever and, and I see her and she goes, you know what? I figured out the, the perch that it sits on. I go, what? She goes, I see it now. Before it lands on my shoulder, I see the tree that it's sitting on and I talk to it and I say, there's no space for you here. Like I'm right now, uh, her sport was volleyball. She goes, right now, I got to lock down, right? See the ball, hit the ball. Let's go. One pass at a time. Let's go. I got great fucking hands. Let's go. Sorry for all the curse words. No, you're good. Yeah, but so, and I was like, right. And then, so we're laughing about it. And She goes, listen, I'll skip to the end. She goes, after a while, she's like, The shitbird and I, we have a whole different relationship and it doesn't even come to the tree anymore because it knows it's not going to find a comfortable place to live in me anymore, to live on my shoulder. So that's a fun way of thinking about this skill that you guide your thoughts. Once you become aware of them, you guide. Once you become aware of your emotions, you can do something with them. And so really it's about breathing. Mm. It's about labeling it. And it's about guiding your thoughts to something more productive. And if you don't train that Doug ahead of time, when you're in the grips of an, at the throes of anxiety, or you're in a panic attack, or you are so tense, tied up inside that it's too late. It's just, well, it's not strike that. It's not too late. It's just incredibly hard. So this is why we get into the business of training. So we want to front load our mental skills training so that we can practice in calm waters for rough seas later and i grew up surfing some of the greatest watermen of on the planet they when they prepare for their voyages they do not pray for calm waters that is not what they pray for they pray to test the strength of their anchor it's an old beautiful quote but it is a true one so why would you do that if you haven't trained because you're likely going to find peril so we train we condition our minds daily without result, without waiver. And then we look for opportunities that are going to challenge our inner resolve, because that is where our potential is expressed. And I'm going to add one more note here. I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> well, no, so is- mu-
1: yours is so good. And it, and it relates so much to, I had Andrew Huberman on, and he talks about, creating like the stress response right and putting yourself in a stressful environment for the very same thing that you're saying On so that when you do get into stressful situations, you're able to manage your stress response more So I'm loving this because this is like I love I live and breathe this stuff. I love it
0: Yeah, and it's really hard to do that if you feel overwhelmed fatigued scared, whatever if your framework isn't quite right It's really hard to think about getting after it putting yourself in an edgy scratchy situation so we need to talk about recovery in a moment so that we can better run to the suffering edge you know yeah. and so just to put a note on the importance of purpose so if we're not careful we're doing these great run to the edge stuff great breathe okay guide yourself talk about for what aim what is your purpose in life and harvard did a brilliant study where they measured fulfillment and they measured it and tracked it for 75 years. It was a great longitudinal study. And one of the findings when they pulled on the thread of those that reported having a fulfilled life is that they said they wrestled with the deep questions in life. That was one of the elements that led to a fulfilled life. So one of the deep questions is, what is your purpose? And without purpose, let's call it a true north, it's really hard to do the hard work. It And what you and I are talking about is hard work and the reward is amazing (laughs) like i wish if there's a way to bottle it, it there's not though it's because you need that kind of suffering challenge embracing humanity and the training to know that you can stand in any environment and authentically be yourself and there's freedom there and if without knowing purpose it becomes incredibly hard and that's one of the reasons people start in fits and bits doing training And I'd say start upstream, get clear on your purpose. And if that feels daunting, be clear on your purpose for the end of the year. Be clear on your purpose for the end of the week, you know?
1: Yeah. And there's so much that you just said there that is so important for people to understand one is to know that you really have to take control as much as you can of the anxiety and take control of your actions and your behaviors and prepare for life. Right and train for life because like you said, life's going to happen and it's going to put us in these situations. And if we're not prepared to handle the stress response, we're not prepared to handle the feelings or the fears, we'll be very quick to go down that rabbit hole because we are very reactive by human nature, if I'm understanding correctly, right? Oh, that's
0: it. And I would say even like there's a, a little sensitive step in between like if we don't have the ability to manage the stress response, let's say the step before that is, it's just a familiarity, step one, you might not be good at it, you know, but like, let's say that you feel some anxiousness and you can just stay in it a little bit longer than before and you're working some tools, some breathing, some self-talk, some, some reminding of purpose, some whatever, some self care stuff, which those are self care, but that's not really what I'm saying. Maybe getting a bath like warm water has been around for a long time, a little magnesium salt bath like they've been around forever. That type of stuff is like just stay with it, don't try to run from it. Just notice it. Go, oh, this is where anxiety lives in me. Weird, it's in my hips. Oh, weird, it's in my chest. Oh, gosh, my temperature heats up. Oh, that's where how anxiety responds. And then you go, huh, what was the tripwire for that? Oh, it's the way that the waiter looked at me or the way that my spouse kind of gave me a glance. Or when I read an email that indicated that something, wow, my thoughts are freaking powerful, huh? So,
1: yeah, and I think it's so important to be self-aware, like you said, and then to also take action based on logic and not emotion, at least in my experience with anxiety, because when I've really seen myself go down that bad rabbit hole, as we were discussing earlier, it's when I continued to respond by emotion and created more fight or flight, more fight or flight. And it wasn't like I never took the time to step back, practice the pause, breathe, and then assess and say, okay, with logic, is this really that scary? What I'm really believing, is it really true? So I know one of the things that you do a lot with your clients. I've heard you talk about it in your uh, newest book, or compete to create, is helping people kind of respond more efficiently, right? So how can somebody, the everyday person, maybe there's some things they can do, like in the morning, or if they're in a situation like that, to really bring themselves back and transfer from emotion to logic?
0: Okay, cool. No different than the physical world. Mm-hmm. So. This is, let's use your domain and my domain here for a moment is in, in the physical world, we'll do some stuff in the gym so that we can do some stuff on the field, right? Right. Whatever the field of play is. And it's not different on the mental side is that you do some stuff on the mental training so that you can respond more eloquently in a more stressful environment. And so that's, that's it. So what are those things? Well, breathing training is one. And so somewhere around let's call it six in six hold, six out, six hold, six seconds in all the way around like that type of box breathing or a six six twelve six start there and see if you can progressively move up to a seven seven twelve seven or seven seven fourteen seven and do that for ten times. like I'm telling you you' you're gonna get familiar with some angst. <laughs> and so you' you will trip some wires in you about panic, you'll feel anxiousness. And if you don't feel that on the 10th rep, move it up to eight, eight, 16, eight, play. So that's one mindfulness is a game changer. I've been practicing for 20 some years and I couldn't imagine my life without it. And so the science is ridiculous. The practice has been around 2,600 years. And if you're not in it yet, like now's a great time to start. It's a game changer. I've got a morning routine that I've found to have a good impact. It's called call it morning mindset training and this is all of this stuff is outlined in the book even more importantly we built coach carroll is the head coach of the seattle seahawks and we so wanted to share our best practices with people outside of sport that we built an eight-week online course and it's a digital course it's it's my best work it's like beautifully shot I think we hit that sweet spot between science and application. And Doug, I, I don't know if you've had a chance to check it out or not, but I'd love to give you and two of your listeners a go at it. And maybe we do a little fun little competition, right? And oh, like, wow. let's do some, let, So I, I want to push it over to you so you can check it out. It's, it's a $500 course. Let's do it for the um, spirit of the Thanksgiving holiday season that we're in. And let's do something online where we create a little competition about for folks like why training their mind matters. Tag you, tag me, tag Finding Mastery, and then why training the mind matters to them. Right? How about it?
1: I'm in. And I think you're touching on something that it needs to be said. Need, people need to hear this. Because when people think of training, they just think of the physical training. But if you don't master the mind, if you don't master the internal dialogue, the inner motivation, none of the external stuff matters. Because you're, on the days yeah. where it's hard, you're not going to want to do it.
0: And I'll say this. I'll say, I don't think that the, the aim is to master it, but to get on the path yes. of mastery. right? And so the goal is the path. Yes. And so how do you get on the path? Well, definitely some self-discovery work. Definitely some mindfulness based work, definitely clarity of purpose, definitely know your core values. That's cool. Definitely know the mechanics and practice the mechanics of confidence. Mm. So let's go back to the morning, the little morning routine to kind of put up some handles on something really concrete, four steps. All of this happens before I get out of bed. It takes about in the shortest duration, 90 seconds, And when I'm flowing, it's six minutes, something like that. So for step one, one deep breath, that's it. And I just make it kind of eloquent where the exhale is longer than the inhale. So before I open, like my eyes are open now, but before I go tune into the noise of the world, my emails, my, 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 all that stuff. That's like noise in the world. Before I tune in one deep breath, I send that signal to the brain. Like we're good. We got agency here. We're in control of like our experience. We're not at the whip's end of the world. We actually dictate our experience. So I'm sending that signal up to the brain for familiarity. So that's one. Now, why does it go from a 90-second drill to nine minutes, six minutes? Is maybe I'll do two, three, four, five breaths. But just get one in. Then the next is one thought of gratitude. Okay? And I'm not talking about a checklist. I'm talking about if you're fortunate to have two feet right now, be about it. Feel it. If you're fortunate enough to have you know two working eyes, be about it. If you're fortunate enough to have a roof over your head, just feel that freaking thing. If you got a loved one in your home, like just be grateful for it. This is not a check the box. This is an embodiment. Okay. So that takes a handful of seconds. Or if you keep going, like play with it. Okay. So now we're opening up a different network in the brain. one want a gratitude of hope, kindness. So we're opening up a different thing. So that's priming more, less of the survival mechanisms and more of the opportunity mechanisms in our brain then the third is one clear intention now what is an intention okay this is not a hippy dippy doe-eyed word <laughs> and it can get there quickly but this is just like take a moment use your freaking imagination and see and feel how you want to be later in the day that's right. it that's an intention like i knew that we we're gonna have this conversation so i wanted to be grounded and to listen more than i talked oh, shit that didn't work it's a bad joke
1: no no and I, and I think, Hey, you're supposed to laugh at the, no, church, I, I know. I mean, I'm, I'm just <laughs> mind blown now by what you're saying, because I think it's so important, especially the part about the gratitude and especially, especially now with gratitude becoming so yeah. such a buzzword, like everyone's saying, be grateful, be grateful, be grateful, write down one thing. And I say that, but when I tell people, when I try and talk to people about it, that I coach, it's like write stuff down, but like put meaning behind, like, why are you grateful for that? Like put it in action, like actually practice being grateful, actually buy the person behind you coffee and at Starbucks because you're grateful that you have money in your account, actually get out and go for that run because you are grateful to have two feet, like actually put some action behind it so that you can wire your brain to, for when you're going about your day to be more positive, to be more grateful to have a different perception on life. And I think whether you're saying you said it, whether it's woo-woo or not, fact is, it's proven to work. So I encourage people oh, to kind of try great. it.
0: Yeah. I'm, so as an applied scientist, I'm sitting squarely on good research. So, yeah. I'm, But we're innovating a bit to make something that hasn't worked necessarily. This four-step process hasn't worked in the laboratory setting. We haven't studied it. But each component that I'm adding has great evidence around the efficacy around it. And so the intention piece is like, just use your imagination to see how you want to be. you right. know. And I, I want to piggyback on what you're saying before I get to the fourth step is, it's the embodiment. It's the full alignment. It's the allowing the gratitude to be part of it and not just an intellectual exercise. So you've nailed it. Well,
1: totally I think it's well, the last thing I'll say, and I'll you get back to it, it's very similar in my belief in the way I fit is like being a Christian. Like I'm a Christian. It's like you can't just go to church on sundays it's how you carry yourself throughout the rest of the day it's like a full-time job it's not just writing down a thing you're grateful for and then that's it the same thing with like if you go to church or whatever spiritual practice you you do it's like it's not just doing it one day it's about doing it consistently
0: yeah there you go that's it and then then the fourth is kind of pull your sheets off and just be where your body is maybe put your feet on the ground if you're fortunate enough to have two feet not everyone does, so I'm, I'm, I'm aware of that. Like, I used to say, be where your feet are. And then I was like, I, I got called to the task by somebody that was like, dude, I don't have two feet. And I was like, hot ah, damn. Right <laughs> on. But like, thank you. You know, so no. so now it's like, be where your body is. Right. That's exact because that's a, that's a given. And so that's what being present is, Doug, is when your mind and your body are in the same place, focused on the same thing that's being present and that's actually um, my life purpose. We talk about purpose. My life purpose is to help people live in the present moment more often. How? By training their mind. And so I'll I'll do a little exercise here. I just wanna say thank you, dude, for letting me be part of your community and share the things that I'm so grateful to understand the power of it and to do it at scale with your community is an honor. So thank you.
1: Yeah, and thank you for the offer that you put up there for myself and to listeners and for everything that you do. And I just hey, want to say- better
0: come strong. Doug, they better come strong now. I your, know. Your crew better come strong.
1: Like, <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, who are we against? Are we against like you, Pete Carroll, Marshawn Lynch or what? That's- <laughs> like,
0: why do you want to train your mind? Tag Doug, tag me, yeah. My, myself is at Michael Gervais, G-E-R-V-A-I-S. Tag us and then tag Finding Mastery on why you want to train your mind. Like why is it important? Well, and, and
1: I and I, yeah, and I what I wanted to say is why I really wanted to get you on here and why I think everybody should really pay attention to what you have to say is you've been saying this for years. It's not like you just all of a sudden when this stuff became cool like two weeks ago, a year ago. We're like, yeah, I'm going to start talking about mindset, mindfulness, mm-hmm. like your your practices. I heard you on an episode. I think it was the first time you came on Rich's show back in 2014. I was listening, so I was like, all right, I want to get a deep dive. I want to really figure out where this guy came from. And you were talking about the same same stuff, and not and I'm sure you've obviously evolved and grown, but I think the foundation of your approach and what you're doing hasn't changed. You've just added on to it. Which yeah. I think in a in a time where we're in an information overloaded society where stuff's getting thrown at us left and right, I think it's really valuable to pay attention to people who have really put time in to master their craft when getting mm-hmm. advice from somebody. Right? I'm not saying that not everyone will. I'm not saying that people can't get there. I'm just saying, if you're really looking to like, listen to what somebody has to say about things like this, like look at their track record and what they've done. And I just wanted to say kudos to you for being so consistent with your message.
0: Appreciate you. Like, seriously, thank you, Doug. That means a lot. And it's been a life purpose. It's been a gift. And I hope that I'm not saying the same fricking thing in another 10 years, but that there are some common threads that I, I just can't figure out how to say it or do it better. And it's like if we don't have purpose, we're not clear and aware of our own inner experience and we don't have some skills to live in the present moment more often, I think that we can never really express the potential that lies dormant. As a spiritual man, you would recognize that our potential is outrageous Mm. and we're not close. I want to reimagine what it means to be human. I want to fundamentally flip it right now. Psychology is on front street for a lot of good reasons because our psychology has been wanting. Certainly in the United States, our psychology has not been conditioned well, and it's fully exposed from the racial biases and systemic racism to the bifurcation between political ideology and the tension that comes with it. We can't have deep conversations about politics because we can't handle the emotions. Mm. And then look at the change that's taken place where wearing a mask is so unsettling that people think that they've lost all autonomy about how to govern their lives. That's not true. Our I sat down with Jan Singer at the beginning of the pandemic and she's a CEO of J. Crew. And I said, what do you think, Jan? And she said, and this is this was this is all public. I'm not I'll never share something that's in the sanctity of my privilege with a client. And she says, this is going to be an amazing experience for us. We're going to reveal if we are made of grit or entitlement, Mm. Boy, am I hoping for the former? I don't think we've passed this test. So I think we're tired. I think there's a fatigue from trying to manage the change and we're only tired because we can't finish this ultra marathon that we're all on, you know? And so we were prepared for maybe a 5k, our mind and bodies were prepared for the 5k. And now we realize that no life is an ultra and it requires our physical carriage is really important and our psychological ability is paramount. And without the two of those kind of working together, it makes it really noisy to get to the spiritual part of uh, being human.
1: You're right. And I think right now there's a lot of people that are in pain either because of the pandemic, isolation. I mean, obviously from years, maybe from years past, whatever the case may be, and they don't see the light, right? I know you mm-hmm. and I, we've we've gone through pain. And I mean, even people listening to the show, I'm sure they've gone through pain. And because we've gone through pain and things, go, things that have come from it have been amazing, we're able to know, okay, we're going through this for a reason. It's not happening to me. Let's embrace the pain because we know that, and you say this in your book, that pain creates change, right? Tragedy creates triumph. Right, and i think if more people adapted this approach and knew that what we were going through was something that was going to create something positive out of this that i think people's perception and behavior i think would be different would you agree
0: oh flat out but the, i love the title of your podcast <laughs> thank I, you it's, yeah it's built on resiliency and optimism yeah the title speaks to those two psychological uh, components and one theory which is self-determination theory and so when I came across your work I was like look at that he hit self-determination theory which is like I don't know if you know what that is but it's a, a let me nerd out for a minute but that's this idea that like I have agency of my in my life I'm motivated because I have autonomy because I've got relationships with myself and others and like there's an agency about me and then optimism is there's an advantage to adversity, and adversity, when you put those two together, is about resiliency, you know? And so, resiliency is having its moment right now, which is cool, I think we need to understand it better, but I get a little worried where it's like, things become, just breathe, just meditate, like, I'll just be more resilient, oh yeah, I'm being gritty right now, it's like, hey, be grateful, like it's so, so much deeper, and so, that's where the training is incredibly valuable
1: and to touch on that so where i've heard you talk about this a lot to to narrow the gap between inspiration and action between somebody who's sitting on the couch they might listen to this podcast they may listen to your show or maybe even do your program or your listen to your book and then it just stops there they throw they put it away and they just they're inspired but they don't take action is there any steps that you recommend for people to kind of bridge that gap in a way that's sustainable for them to actually take action on the thing that's that inspired them yeah
0: there's i'd like to
1: answer it in three ways yeah
0: okay one is there's a social component one is a psychological component and then one is a behavioral Mm. and so on the social component is do it with somebody get down with like lock arms when we were young what do you do spit in your hand and shake it like, (laughs) gross now, isn't it? Like, never do that now. Like, look somebody in the eye or have a commitment that we're gonna go do some work together. It's a gym buddy, but do it about self-discovery and kind of training your mind and up-leveling from there. So one is, there's a social aspect that will help you because there will be times when it gets sticky or it gets confusing or just you feel tired because you didn't get a good night's sleep and you don't wanna do the work the following day. So that's one. The second is psychologically is to almost precede the work with getting in touch with your humanity, Mm. check into yourself, like examine why it is that you feel the way that you feel. And just, I don't want to scare people away, but just for even a nanosecond, like, yeah, if I'm honest, I'm tired of like feeling this way. I'm tired of not being fully alive and it's because of this and that and this I want to be free, so get in touch with your suffering. It'll help you do the work. That's the pain to create change. Pain doesn't always create change. <laughs> Sometimes people just get stuck in pain, you know. And
1: but would you agree uh, though that I w- I've heard you say that like all ch- most change has been created from pa- some sort of pain you, though, right? Oh,
0: you and I are like yes. I'm saying that the way that I, I like to think about it is that why do people change? It's because of pain. Ah, got it. But but some people. This is addiction. That you were feeling so much pain that you were just masking it. So you weren't really changing. You were just doing that kind of avoidance of feeling pain, right? And so I've got addiction in my family. And so I I recognize it up close and intimate as well. And so so that's the psychological. That's the sociological, which is do it with somebody. And then the behavioral is when you want to start a new behavior, you want to build a habit, let's say. Here's the one, here's the piece that I have found so valuable is like, get connected to why you want to do it, not just that you're going to do it, but get connected to why it is the purpose of it. And then start a small, digestible, snackable something. And when you do that small little behavior, like if you want to go run, put your shoes out the night before at your front door. And when you just do that, celebrate like a wild person. Like, be wild about it. Like, look at me one step closer. I'm a bad man. Let's go. I'm <laughs> And I mean, I'm just laughing about it. Like, of course. My wife looks at me like, what? You just put your shoes out. I'm like, yep, that's right. Like, like summer's running.
1: coming. <laughs> summer's so, coming.
0: You know, so it's like, celebrate the wins. Yeah. And so, what that does is it creates a neurochemical exchange. Mm. That um, there we go. becomes a rewarding network mm. around the shoes, so there to speak, or around packing your bag to go to the gym, or fill in the blanks, whatever. So have that pre-reward, and but not like not, I'm not. Let me not say it that way. Reward yourself with the wild celebrations when you are on the path. That's that's a better way to say it.
1: And I think you touched on something that I was going to ask you about anyway. That I think is very important because there, there's a lot of talk right now about. Attaching a why finding your why finding your purpose and I think that it's extremely important as we've discussed But I think there's a lot of people that are listening or maybe maybe they come across your work or my stuff on social media and they'll be like, well, why like what's the What's the proof that it actually works? And you just touched on it neurologically. What it does to your brain is now you're creating new pathways. You're creating new patterns that whenever you put your shoes out, you're like, cool, this is going to be a good feeling. I'm going to celebrate this. And then it's going to keep moving me further down the continuum to make that change. And the one thing that I mean, one of the many things that I love about the way you put things in the context is when you talk about failure and I love failure. I think you have to fail because I believe if you fail, it means you took a chance. And if you took a chance, it means you at least tried. And if you try, you had enough belief in yourself, enough faith to know that you were worthy enough to take action into something that matters to you, right? But when I heard you describe failure as when you're not doing the thing, you're failing, right? Like you're failing. So talk a bit about this. I think it's so important for people that are listening that maybe they haven't taken that step in their health transformation or trying to get off of drugs or maybe getting out of a relationship. I can go on and on with these things that people are afraid of because they're afraid of failing. But you describe it that failing is not trying So talk a bit about that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for bringing that up. So success and failure, those definitions were handed to me when I was like seven. And so I wanted to reexamine them as I started to understand psychology better. And I didn't want to just accept like success is the scoreboard and failure is the not having the scoreboard. It's much more delicate than that. So for me, success is I'll start there and I'll get to failure success. I measure daily success. Oh, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to definitely answer these, but I want, I want to hit a note for you is that on the purpose thing, I did research on the Finding Mastery podcast and we took all of our interviews transcribe them push them through a machine learning algorithm that we built and what we found hmm. we found that goals were not significantly important wow. to yeah how about that and that's actually so that's, surpri- I, that's surprising I, so surprising and that's why like the machine learning piece like is really an important piece to this because usually people go write your goals to, for success. And that's where I was going with success. I was like, wait, hold on. I got to hit this goals. But what we found it's relative to the purpose conversation is that they had a purpose-driven identity, Mm -hmm. so not one of success, not one of goal-driven, it was not um, outcome-driven identity, it was purpose. So they were more connected to purpose than goals and they found flow in the daily rhythms, not necessarily like these one-off big moments down the road. that's really cool so let me double click under success for me is not measured by bank accounts and scoreboards success is measured how many times a day can i be so alive in the present moment that my hair stands up Mm. so i measure it by the number of times i have a sense of awe and it's you can't miss them when you're in it you can't miss them and if i have a bunch of those moments scoreboard stuff will take care of itself. And guess what? I'm totally winning, because I'm completely alive today. You know, so that's success for me, then failure, it's not making a mistake. And it's not a scoreboard. It's the inability to go for it, the unwillingness or the inability to get on the edge, and to go for it. So mastery is really about getting up into the nuances in the edge, and exploring that. And so I'm saying my goal is to be on the path of mastery. And then failure then is the unwillingness or inability to get up on the edge. And so you know what? That doesn't just show up on the pitch or the field or the boardroom. That shows up in the living room. Do I, am I unwilling or unable to speak what is true to my heart?
1: Because that's tough too. I mean, I think it's all the same, right? Everybody's on a different path and then we all have different problems based on where we're at on our journey. Amen. Mm-hmm. So I, I love everything you said and a lot of what you've talked about is things you've covered in your, your work and in your book, Compete to Create, which is an an audible original, if I'm correct, which I had the great privilege of listening to, got a lot out of it. And the last thing I want to talk to you about, just because I want to be mindful for, mindful of your time is I think one of the biggest things that people struggle with as far as adversity is uncertainty and being able to let go. And we're in a time right now where there's a lot of uncertainty, there's a lot of fear, things are tense right now. And some people have been impacted financially, personally, professionally. And I know you talk a lot about this in your book about the ability of letting go and letting go of control. So what advice, do you have for someone right now who's listening to this? Or maybe they have a loved one that's listening to this, it's really struggling to let go and embrace this uncertainty.
0: I wish I had a silver bullet on this one because we are um, reminded of how some of our first principles and first assumptions are no longer the case. Like, can I go outside, go in public without a mask? Well, that, that got challenged for us. So there's a high level of uncertainty that we're reminded of. Whereas 10 months ago, there was lots of uncertainty, but it just kind of wasn't in our face. So I'll just say this as a framework is that the unfolding moment is always unpredictable. It might seem like it was at one time, but truly, like I barely know what I'm about to say. It's completely unpredictable to me. It's completely unpredictable to you. Neither of us have been here before. So then we have to make a decision. How do we want to be here in the unfolding unpredictable moments? Call that uncertainty, but it's just the unfolding unpredictable moment. And how do I want to be here? Well, I want to be grounded. I want to be present. I want to be creative. I want to be articulate. I want to be connected. I want to be aligned with my thoughts, my words, and my actions. So then I go practice them. So if somebody's struggling with some uncertainty, I would say, if they were sitting next to me, I'd say, great, how are you practicing getting better at that? And they go, what do you mean? I say, oh, welcome to the world. Welcome. Welcome. Like, where do you want to start? Like, let me give you some layups. Start with the morning mindset training. Start with doubling down on, on a mindfulness, you know, practice. Like do your breathing work. Like get your journal out and figure out your purpose. Like start with them. Those kind of big rocks. And or, or small things. Like the morning mindset is really quite small, isn't it? You know. And so
1: but the smallest things I'll, tend to make the biggest changes, I think, right? Mm-hmm. The, the fitness community I tell people if you could just move 20 30 minutes a day, drink half your body weight and water and eat you know plenty of veg- fruits and vegetables throughout the day just those three things alone take out everything else just do those simple things how much better your life will be.
0: Oh please and then add one more to it which sleep is get yeah. some great sleep yeah get that thing right but yeah, yeah yeah so I would just to final final note on your question is I beg the question what are they doing for training and help them there.
1: So Dr. Gervais, I have really appreciated our conversation today. I knew it was going to be special. Just Mm. your knowledge, your wisdom, everything that you've learned and also coach people on when it comes to really mastering the mind, not only mastering the mind, but taking action. right? And I know when you say mastering, it's like we're always on a path to mastery, but I think taking control of where we are in that moment is part of mastery and having the ability to be self-aware, and then self-reflect based on where we are in that situation. And so I'm definitely going to encourage everybody to check out your book. I will make sure to plug it in the show notes as well as your course with uh, Pete Carroll. And again, I got to pick two listeners, I guess, to do the challenge with me now because I've been challenged. So where else can people find you? I know we have the the Finding Mastery podcast. I definitely include that. I know you're at Michael Gervais on Instagram, correct?
0: Yeah. And Twitter and LinkedIn. Sweet. Yeah. Awesome. And so we're going to give two courses away to whoever kind of tags us and lets us know why they want to get after it right now. And then we also have a special right now for $50 off for anyone that doesn't make the cut. So they can find that on finding as well.
1: Sweet, man. Well, once again, thank you. And for those listening, like many, this is going to be one you're going to want to listen to a few times because. Dr. Gervais unleashed some incredible tips, not just tips, but tips you can actually take action on, just little bite-sized nuggets that can move the needle for you in such a big way with your mindset, with the way you carry yourself throughout the day. So I'm going to encourage you to really take some time and reflect after listening to this episode and let us know what you thought of it. Tag Dr. Gervais, tag myself in your biggest takeaways from the episode. And also, for those of you, of course, who are doing the challenge, we're going to be tagging him with that as well. So once again, I thank you all for for listening to this. We thank Dr. Gervais, and we appreciate you listening to this episode of The Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bopes. We'll see you next time.